inputs to it, and you're telling me to go fix that number, I don't really understand how the work that I'm doing with the clients on a daily basis and all the million steps I had to go through to get a sales deal done. How does that, how, how do I fix your number? And that's where the communication gap is biggest on the metric side. And my job is to help bridge that gap and break down the lagging indicator metrics into leading indicators, which translate into activities, which are things we can actually track. And a leader who is managing their team on a day-to-day -day basis to activities and keeping track of leading and lagging indicators is gonna be far more successful because then in their messaging and in their work with their team, their team. Yo, what is up? This is Christian D. Evans, host of Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. And I just wanna share with you real quick, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It really means a lot to us, but also our community. And you know, if you like this, please share this with your friend, your family, a colleague, someone that you don't even like. Definitely share that with them. And then also leave a comment and a review for us. We really do appreciate that. And show our guests some love if you find that this episode really resonates with you. Secondly, also want to share with you some really awesome news. I've had the Fortune Opportunity Network and have incredible guest, eight and nine figure entrepreneurs, CEOs and founders on our podcast. And what we've done is we've actually been able to open up a be uncommon if you can mastermind where we're able to open up the door for so many of you, right? Those that are six figure, seven figure entrepreneurs that are scaling, that are struggling, that really want to level up their game, their business, their life, whatever it is. I'm able to open up that door for you with this Be Uncommon If You Can Mastermind. Now, we're only taking a select few of individuals. So what you'll need to do is go to christiandevans.com forward slash mastermind dash now. And the link is actually in the description as well. Guys, that is christiandevans.com forward slash mastermind dash now. We're only opening this up for a select few of individuals that really want to level up their game. You have a conversation with me. See if you qualify. And guys, enjoy the episode. And remember... Be uncommon if you can. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans, and we have the next amazing consultant individual that is going out there building incredible B2B stuff out there. Definitely the B2B Academy and so much going on in the software and B2B world. He is just a huge expert individual that's walking this path on the front end. And we're so excited about diving in deep, talking about this stuff that's going on. Definitely the success on the back end after sale, but also on the front end as well. What's going on, what's happening, how the industry is changing, we'll be diving into that. Now he is a co-founder, three-time top success customer success influencer, author, speaker, consultant. He is the co-founder, founder, and CEO of 30-Day Leadership and world-class world -class customer strategy for growing companies. And he's the owner of Glide Consulting. Please welcome my next guest, the one and only Nils Vinya. How you doing, my man? Hey, Christian. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for that kind and warm intro. Well, hey, man, I'm really excited about it because, again, like I mentioned, you know, you're, you're big in the B2B world. And yeah. what I find so interesting it is constantly changing. And it's all about relationships. And uh, what the academy that you've built is is really, really quite remarkable, the community, the, community, the leadership. Uh, now, we'll dive into the leadership as well. But first of all, kind of tell me, like, what you've got going on with the B2B world, what caused that that idea and that creation? And yeah. kind of what, what, what do you see? What, what kind of results you're seeing? Yeah, so I've been focused in the B2B world, primarily in the startup scene, B2B SaaS for pretty much my entire career. And it's provided tremendous amounts of opportunities all across the board to have wonderful career in the field of customer success, which you can talk about, and also as a leadership coach. So in 2020, when the pandemic hit, that was a huge um, opportunity for me to relook at my business and take a step back and say, well, how can I have the greatest amount of impact um, with the people that I love to work with the most? And over the last 10 years, I've been a leadership coach and I've been working one-on-one, -on -one, high touch, executive level people, all within fast growing companies, early stage, growth stage, et cetera. And it was wonderful. It was really fulfilling. It was great work. However, I knew that there was an entire group of people who never had access to leadership coaching, primarily the frontline leaders that are responsible for the day-to-day -day work and success of every single organization out there, the managers and the directors. And so I decided to take all of my expertise in coaching the executives, and I wrote my best-selling book called 30-Day Leadership Playbook. 
your guide to becoming the leader you have always wanted to be. And for your listeners, Christian, got a free digital copy of the book. They can go and grab it at 330dayleadership.com forward slash book. And in this book, I've shared tons and tons of the strategies and tactics that I used with these leaders over the better part of 10 years. And then I built this program on the back of it for those who wanted to go deeper than the book called the B2B Leaders Academy, where we work to empower managers and directors inside of B2B SaaS companies uh, with the leadership tools they need to confidently handle any situation. So lots of opportunity for me to give back and to have a you know, have a part in helping to develop great leaders because I think companies that have great leaders, especially from the beginning um, and all the way up through the ranks is going to make a, the, the world a better place. That's awesome. And first of all, I really appreciate that gift. That is incredible and immense, uh, immense value. Uh, guys, that link will be, well, we'll drop that in the description below. Uh, but also kind of tell me like, uh, you, you're on the forefront of this, okay? And you're seeing this back in and out and everything like that. And I know the B2B world and a, you know, a SaaS company, you know, um, Kind of ecosystems are totally different than the B2C and, and the, the D2C as well. So what are you seeing that's that most B2B, you know, CEOs, account execs, um, high C-suite individuals are struggling with thus far? And um, what are those things that they should be aware of? Yeah, so uh, th- a lot of this depends on the growth stage of their company. You know, in the B2B world, if you're in the SaaS space and in the startup space, and if you have venture-backed funding, or perhaps you're self-funded until you get to a point where you can raise, um, then all of a sudden there's a tremendous amount of pressure to just hit the gas. And that pressure and that time is where I've spent an awful lot of time as a consultant and a leadership coach, helping leaders to work through those challenges, because essentially you have to figure out how to lay the foundation, not just do ad hoc, you know, we got to just plug every hole with our fingers kind of thing, but how do we actually seal all the holes first so that the water doesn't keep creeping in? Um, And that's a big part of my job. So on the customer success side, I've been helping early in growth and scale stage companies for almost eight years build customer success foundations. So how they engage with customers post-sale in a B2B world. And it is different than B2C. It is different than other segments because oftentimes there's a recurring revenue contract on the back of this that's 30, 50, 100, 200, $300,000 a year. And the only value that's derived from that company or the only measure, real measurable value these days is based on how well you can renew and expand your customer contracts. So if you're working with your customers and your customers aren't getting a lot of value and a lot of them are churning after the first year, then you've got a problem and you will have a long-term valuation problem as a result. So customer success is much more than just a department. It is a philosophy, but my job is to help lay the foundation from a department perspective so that you can engage with your customers, ensure that they get value, and then ultimately ensure that they renew and expand their contracts. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about that, you know, kind of the, 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 the levels, right? So the, building the foundation, what does that look like, the proper foundation, uh, and, and what they should be aware of, like, okay, this is good, and this is bad. And then obviously, the next level and saying, okay, hey, how do we really now, now we have a foundation, now let's rock and roll and scale. And obviously, what does that look like? Yeah, so I, I like to use the analogy. Um, that this Bank of America commercial years and years ago was on. And I thought it was just a perfect depiction of exactly what I do with my clients. I share this all the time with them. There was a, in, there was a opened up with a scene of a manager on this floor of this huge office, cubicles everywhere, classic, you know, Bank of America type of environment you would imagine. And he holds up um, one, a check. And he says, at Bank of America, we don't process 500,000 or whatever the number was, we'll process 500,000 checks a day. We process one check perfectly and then repeat that 500,000 times. And I thought that was a really interesting piece. So from a foundation perspective, this is exactly what it means on the customer success side. We don't, you know, service X number of customers. We know how to make one customer successful and then we repeat that X number of times. So whether you're dealing with a customer base of 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000, it really doesn't matter. As long as you know the core pieces of how you are going to be in the driver's seat to take them on this journey because they signed up for the end result, they had no clue what was in the middle. And that's where most people struggle to kind of assume that they'll figure it out in the middle, but the reality is that they won't. So as leaders 
on the B2B side, we have to be prescriptive. We got to write the experience that somebody else is going to have before they get into it. If we do that, then we can repeat that experience X number of times and hopefully get everybody to the right end destination. Yeah, because before you jumped on here, you, you mentioned, of course, the success, right? Uh, the customer success is very, very important. And I know definitely in the business world, we're always talking about revenue, cash flow. And that's why the marketing sales gets so much of the owner's attention, because that's what drives it, right? However, yeah. the, like you said, it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, you got a hole in your boat and you're trying to get the water out of it. And the reality is that's like the marketing sales. Well, guess what? Everybody just keeps leaving on the back end. So, yeah. you know, you, you were talking about like, you know, the retention, the custom uh, customer stickiness, right? Um, but it, it all comes down to that customer success. And so tell me a little bit, like, what are you seeing in the market that majority of people are getting wrong? And yeah. obviously, obviously, you know, tell us a little bit about like your, your, your clients that you've been able to help and yeah. see the result that you've been able to produce. So there's a, this has been an ongoing and will continue to be an ongoing evolution. And if you look at how software companies in particular in the B2B space have engaged with their customers over time, it's, it has evolved. So in the very beginning, earliest days, the IBMs of the world, when you bought IBM, you got a physical person or a physical team that were sitting on your site to run the thing. Like they're, they, their customer success is literally people on site. Then we transitioned in the enterprise world. This was dominated by the SAPs, the Oracles, the on-premise giants of the world who sold gigantic contracts and then had a support function and a consulting services function. And that was it. Like you said, their goal was to just to sell the deal. Top line revenue was king. Then we transitioned into the SaaS model. Thank goodness for Salesforce and our whole, you know, upending of the world of enterprise software and the company getting 90 plus percent of the customer's lifetime value on day one. Now we have to earn that over three, four and five years. And if we don't do a good job, we're going to lose money on every single customer we bring in. Right. So now the focus is on, OK, I have to make sure that they are going to renew and expand. And that is the a mindset shift. So there's a point in every single company. It's different uh, depending on price points and packages and pricing and all that good stuff. But there's a point in every single recurring revenue business, whether it's SaaS or not, where the amount of renewals that, that are up for the amount of dollars that are up for renewal on a quarterly basis are going to be greater than the amount of new business revenue that will come in in a quarter and translate that out to a year as well. So at some point, there's an inflection point where the new business no longer becomes the single greatest driving factor of revenue inside the company. What comes with the single greatest driving factor is renewals. So when you're talking about having a renewal stack that's five, 10, 15 million dollars, and all of a sudden the new business looks like a very small percentage of that, we have to realize that where the attention and the energy needs to go, and it can't always be on the sales side like it has been in the past, but this is an evolution. Not everybody is getting there yet. Um, and part of my job is helping to build awareness of that so that we can put in place the programs and, and all kinds of good stuff on the CS side to make sure that that renewal bank continues to renew and ultimately expand. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about one of your, your clients that you've been able to help yeah. implement this. And then as well as like the results that they've been able to produce. What does that look like? Yeah. So, all right. Well, so one client, I'll give a, a very large client example and then a very small client example. So on the very large client side, um, I worked recently with a, a very well-established longtime public 500 million plus dollar company, huge, huge organization who made the decision to move from a managed services kind of a delivery model to a SaaS model. So they spent years in R&D building a new SaaS product because they knew that the future of their business was dependent on a SaaS model. Their board knew it, they got pressure on this, they three years building, and then they said, okay, now go build this. We're getting close to launch of the product, so now go build this CS function. That was essentially the directive to several of the leaders in the organization. So they did some research, found and contacted several consultants. I was the lucky one who got to work with them. And we had an absolute blast laying in foundation from scratch in place for this, what was going to be um, you know, a very, very large revenue business, but it didn't really exist at this time. This was going to be a transitionary thing. So we defined the foundation over the about of course of about three months. Then we brought in um, and did a... Um, 
they did a hiring internally. So they brought people from around the organization to be the first CSMs. And they hired 18 internally to be in this role. We trained them over a two-week boot camp. And then we let them loose. And we gave them the framework and the structure and the approach for how they were going to engage with customers, what it was going to mean. Every step of the way, we had mapped out the prescription, as I talked about before. Um, fast forward a year and what are we, three plus months later, after that initial boot camp, they went from a team of 18 to now they're a team of 80. The revenue that they are managing is in the hundreds of millions and their gross revenue retention forecast is up eight points above where it had ever been before. All right, so the definition of this, whether it's from scratch or whether it's an evolution doesn't really matter, but the definition of the experience and putting in place this foundation was so powerful that they're dealing with something they had never expected and almost, you know, honestly had a little bit of a, a heartache on because in the first six to 12 months of the program, things didn't look that good because it was a transitionary period, but we stuck with it. Everything kept moving and now they're seeing the real results. And that's part of the long-term nature of the SaaS world too, is things don't turn on a dime in six months. It takes, you know, 12 months and then even further to really feel the impact of everything because relationships are long-term. Definitely. That's, that's amazing. That's, I love that result because, you know, one of the things I, I see in the industry and I mentioned this before, but it's like, you know, I, I love this unorthodox way of looking at it because it is very unorthodox. You don't hear this that often, but obviously you, you, you give a really prime example of actually how remarkable the, the result was just by implementing and focusing your attention on developing the CS side of things. Right. So yeah, give us, give us a, a smaller, smaller example as well. Yeah. I know you mentioned that. So this on the smaller side, you know, I've worked with companies anywhere from, you know, even a million dollars and almost zero CSMs or maybe one CSM upwards in the mid range, you know, a team of five or eight or something like that. Um, in the earliest days of segment, you might be familiar with them. Uh, they're a wonderful company in the earliest days when they had just received their A round funding. I got a chance to work with them. And again, my goal, this was way back in 2015, when I first started consulting, my goal was to help them build the foundation. So we put in place every single step of the process that was going to be necessary for how the uh, clients were going to get value out of what was a very technical solution. So they were a data pipeline for uh, marketing and all kinds of different data to be fed from websites and from systems into other systems. So they were basically the bridge. So there's a lot of technical pieces there. Um, and we came up with a strategy and a plan. And in the early days of segment, those customers were really successful as a result of that strategy. And way down the line, I can't say that I was a very, very big part of this, but I was lucky to be an early part of this. They sold the company uh, for $3.2 billion, right? And the founders in the very beginning believed very heavily in customer success, not just as a department, but as a philosophy. And that's one thing I tell all my clients that number one piece, like if you don't believe in customer success as a philosophy and your rest of your um, organization does not believe it, the department's pretty much going to fail and you're going to have a lot of trouble. If you believe that it can be a philosophy, even if it's not today, but it can be a philosophy and it can be a central thing where every executive perhaps has a target or a, some part of their variable compensation tied to retention because marketing, engineering, product, sales, they all impact retention, then we can have alignment and bring the troops together around the single focus, which is making sure our customers renew and expand. Everybody's got a piece to play. Now that is a brilliant idea. I, I love that concept where it's a it's it's attached to that retention side of things. So if we're not retaining customers, then everybody's butts on the line, and it's not just one individual; it's the whole company. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, what other what other different like techniques or tactics uh, work to keep that culture uh, and and to keep the whole growth of the company focusing on the CS side? It starts at the top. Uh, and this, the, the par large public company I talked about, uh, I had conversations with their um, almost to the, the second person to the CEO. So very, very large, all the way up the chain. And they said, what do we have to do to make this successful? Because I found out that during my interviews and discussions with them early before I was selected, they had actually had two or three failed attempts at starting a customer success function over the previous several years. So there had been interest or something 
And it had failed multiple times. And these leaders were aware enough to ask the question. And they said, what do we have to do? I said, number one, single most important thing is the customer success has to be a philosophy, not just a department. Right? That's, that's at the core. And that starts at the top. If the top believes that, that will translate into you know, perhaps discussions around the variable compensation piece, perhaps discussions around the product roadmap, perhaps discussions around how far over our skis can we actually um, make promises or aspirationally sell our vision, right? Because all of that is great when the customer signs on the line, because at the time it's quote unquote true, but 12 months down the line, if we haven't come anywhere close to realizing that vision, we just you know made ourselves very vulnerable to losing money on that customer. And that's a significant thing, but nobody cares about that until everybody cares about that. And that comes from the culture, it comes from the top. Um, so that was where I'd say, you know, for the owners out there listening, if customer success is not a philosophy, just acknowledge that that is what it is today, but that there are gonna be repercussions of that. And if you're in a recurring revenue business, there will be poor fit or bad fit customers that come into the pipe. Now we can't exclude all bad fit customers. Some will get through, it's okay. We're not gonna stop everything to only sell to the absolute perfect ideal, but there's a difference between one extreme and the other. And that middle ground is really important and at least agreement with the sales side and with the CS side that what we're selling is exactly what we can deliver, even if it's a little bit further ahead, but it's really important to bring the parties together and not you know, say sales and marketing, you're out there, go do whatever it takes to hit this number and CS do whatever it takes to hit this number and never the twain shall meet. Like that's a recipe for disaster right there. And you uh, bring up a really solid point because I see that so many times because, again, like the, the business owner's philosophy is, you know, 90% of their attention is on marketing sales because, again, that generates the revenue. Yep. And the reality is the, the asset itself is the, the back end, the CS. That's right. Uh, and that's where you actually generate the long-term revenue, which is, of course, you know, the, the, the valuation and whatever. Um, and, in fact, I see that a lot where the CS runs itself and the marketing sales are integrated very, very closely, their departments, but they're not integrated very closely with the CS side of things. Uh, sure. And you brought up a really good, uh, quite a few different like red flags for companies that say, okay, hey, we don't have this in place because I would like to swing back around that company that tried. So they did try it. They saw that they, they needed it and they tried two or three times. Yeah. Uh, maybe help me walk through the process of like, why do you think they, they failed? Was it just the transactional? And like you said, it wasn't the philosophy. If you yeah. could walk me through that a little bit, why, why, they, why you think they uh, you know, failed? The, you know, the story, times. I asked that same question because for me as a consultant, that's gigantic red flags all over the place. I was like, well, I, my, I'm only as good as my reputation. So if I step into something where this can't be successful, I'm not doing myself any favors down the line either if I can't, make, if I can't do my part and add value to them. So um, when I asked that question, the, the response was, that there was zero support from the organization. It was, it was a grassroots attempted effort and there was zero support from leadership uh, from that standpoint. So perhaps there was other objectives, other things going on. Like I said, the company had been around for a long time. And when you have companies that have been around for a long time, there's ingrained ways we do things and ingrained ways we think about serving customers. And this was a fundamentally different one. And so to get that level of change to uh, happen inside of an organization of that big, of that size, and had, had been established for that long, required a completely upending of where the message was coming from, and it had to come from the top. So that, you know, back to the, it all starts at the top, it is a little bit cliche to say, but in this case, it 100% is true. So when um, I was talking to one company and I really loved their, their integration of the CS process and how they treated a lot of their customers, because when they, when they, even when they were like ask for a referral or even ask for a testimonial or anything like that, it was very one-on-one -on -one approach. They would spend their time, do a Zoom meeting, have a conversation, engage with them, talk to them, and then obviously facilitate that, whatever that result they wanted, right? Like a yeah. testimonial, referral, whatever. However, though, I have seen other companies, definitely the B2B, where they always talk about, you know, automation, processes, mm -hmm. systems. And don't get me wrong, that, that's in order to scale that like higher, like nine figures and so forth, you do have to leverage that. Yeah. However, though, sometimes you definitely in the CS world, you have to scale the unscalable sometimes. Yeah. And so I'd love to get your perspective. What have you seen as like the best fruits for your labor, if you will? Because I do yeah. know like there are certain things you cannot and should not automate and there are certain things that obviously you can and and you know scale go from there 
Yeah. And a lot of times it comes down to your engagement model, your pricing structure, your tiering, your segmentation. Um, if you are only, or let's say this, if you're in the early days and you're in the million dollar range and you have 20 or 30 or 50 clients, you have to go overboard on everything, right? It does not matter how much time and effort and energy you expend on those clients because they're going to be your earliest champions. They're going to be the ones that help you get the next 20 or 30. Um, and you just do everything for them. They ask, you do, and you ask, and you help get them to do it. Like, it's just the way it is. But as you grow and scale, as you get to 5 million and then 10 million, 15, you're right, you can't. And that's usually where some form of segmentation has to come into play to say, okay, you know, in customers in this kind of scenario, maybe it's based on use case and there's a million different ways to segment, which we won't go into too much detail here, but um, there are some customers that are going to need more guidance and help and structure and support than others. That might be driven by their spend or they might be driven by their use case. It just completely is dependent upon the individual organization. And the key is to automate, and when I say automate, automate what you can control from a um, you know, touch perspective. So it is possible to automate high touch activities. However, it is not possible to um, replicate a, you know, a business review with an executive audience without being in person. So you can automate all the preparation steps for that, all the generation of reports, all the supporting documents and details and step-by-step -step things you have to do. However, you can't automate the actual interaction with that versus, you know, a lower tier customer who's at the bottom end, who you're not going to spend a tremendous amount of time with, but still needs to get the same result. They need to know their stats. They need to know some recommendations. They got to know some ideas, some product updates that 100% can be automated. So in the, in the lower, the medium and lower touch, that's where we've seen a massive transformation in the CS space and beginning to take shape from going from the one-on-one -on -one and, and people people solving the problem to ultimately being in a position where um, automation and tools can solve the problem. However, at the high touch, what we're trying to automate is just the behind the scenes stuff. I love it. I love that. That's incredible. Uh, incredible insight. I appreciate you uh, diving deep into that a little of bit. Course. Now, I would like to pivot just a little bit here. So, you know, you're big in the in the leadership space. And I do know, obviously, within the last five, seven years, it has, it has really taken off. Um, and I think there's this definitely in like, you know, leadership and CEO and C-suite and, and just business owner in, in general is like, we, we're always like, I'm a good leader, right? There, yeah. There's like this, yeah. this, this bias about ourselves, right? That we're better than we actually yeah. are. And, yeah. and so I'd like to first start out like asking really, what do you see in the, in the space right now that people should be aware of with their own style of leadership? Because, yeah. you know, then it helps them realize, okay, maybe I'm not a, as good of a leader as I could be. Mm -hmm. And in order to be the best leader to run a 10, uh, you know, 10 million nine figure business, you have to be a certain type of leader. So yeah. if you could just kind of, you know, walk me through that a little bit. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting things I've learned um, over my years as an executive coach, as well as in the last couple of years, really focusing on building this um, B2B Leaders Academy, is that nobody is really ever trained on how to be a great leader. Now, in the B2B world especially, and there's a few exceptions, which I'll share with you in a second, but in the B2B world especially, what happens is we, people get promoted, which is wonderful, and then they are simply given the responsibility of now being a leader. That's it. Like that's the extent of it. And sometimes, occasionally, some organizations will have some support. Perhaps there's a networking group. Perhaps there's a once a quarter or twice a year meeting of the leaders and you discuss topics or maybe there's a book club or something. But there's no structured way that most people go through in order to understand how to become a better leader. And virtually everybody learns just by trial and error. And I've interviewed over 50 people on my B2B leadership podcast. Not a single one has said when I got promoted into a leadership position, I actually had a full, you know, structured path to follow to ensure that I was going to be a great leader. So that's, you know, point number one is recognize that your leadership style today and what you do as a leader is likely derived from all the experiences you've had and all the other leaders you've worked with and worked for. And some of these things are probably good and some of them are probably not so good, but you probably don't question them because you've been doing it for so long. So it's always important to take a step back and say, well, in that situation, I handled it this way. 
why did I handle it this way? Was this some, was that really how I believe these types of situations should be handled? Or was that exactly how my old boss used to handle that? And chances are we observe and we learn more by what we see in others uh, than what we come up with on our own ourselves. So, you know, my job and partly in writing this book and founding the B2B Leaders Academy was to provide that structured path to say there are a set of tools. There is a framework to follow that has been very successful for me personally, as well as my clients over the last 10 years. And you can follow it every single um every single month. And my goal is to break it down into small bite-sized chunks so that every month members can become a better leader and improve their leadership skills by focusing on just one area at a time. And that's, you know, that's the gist of it. So one, recognize where you are today and the fact that you probably most likely haven't been through a structured path to learn how to become a leader. And number two, there's always an opportunity to improve your leadership skills because everything is looks different today than it did yesterday. You had a fundamentally different point in time now than you ever were before. So you can always look at a tool, a strategy, a tactic from a different lens, and that can be really powerful. Definitely. And because and you, you created that incredible book. So let's kind of dive in. And I know you, you, you discuss a lot of topics in that regard, uh, but just kind of share if you would like highlight maybe one or two that you'd like to mention with our audience. Yeah. So the world of leadership is very big. Like, and there's a lot of topics. So I love to break it down. Um, and I created the four pillars of leadership. And these are pillar number one is leading yourself. This is all about everything you control. Leadership really starts with you. So everything from your psychology to how you master your time to how you build repeatable systems so you're not a bottleneck. Pillar number two is leading others. This has everything to do with how you lead your team. So this has to do with creating a connected team, driving your team's performance, and then coaching as using that coaching skills as one of the single greatest opportunities for leaders to build long-term strategic relationships with anybody, especially those who report to them through the use of those skills. Pillar number three is leading with communication. And this has everything to do with communicating your value and your team's value outside of your team. So to other leaders in the organization, other peers, other executives, and even outside of the organization entirely, right? At a conference, perhaps. And this has to do with creating frameworks. Uh, this has to do with building incredible presentations and marketing your leadership because doing the job as a leader is simply not enough. And pillar number four is leading with metrics. And this has to do with driving personal and team performance identifying how to measure, how to set targets and drive accountability. And the metrics piece kind of ties it all together and wraps it up. So the vast majority or the vast world of leadership, in my view, fits into one of those four pillars. And those that's the structure of the B2B Leaders Academy, where I break it down even further within each one of those to focus, get my members to focus on just one area. And then I give them tools that they integrate so they can become a better leader every single month. That's awesome. Now let's kind of dial into specifically the communication thing, because, you know, it's it's very interesting to me with the communication, because definitely with a lot of these, you know, personality tests and stuff like that and everything that's been coming out uh, and, and, and a lot of companies are been like really adapting to that a little bit more, whereas, hey, this personality is different. And so the way I need to speak to that person is tremendously different yes. and obviously different projects and things like that. And that's all part of leadership, right? Really yeah. dialing in and really leveraging some of the data that you have, like, oh, person A works well with person B, let's mm -hmm. do a project. And obviously the way I communicate with person C is going to be slightly different than person A and so forth, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but talking about communication, uh, at more of like a, a deeper level, what do you see that majority of definitely because again, it's like a lot of things have gone online with leveraging Slack and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you may have like misinterpretation or miscommunication oh, yeah. or misunderstanding mm -hmm. tremendously, definitely now with everything just pivoting. Yep. Um, and again, it's probably more productive, but I would like to just talk about like, what are you seeing right now in the industry, but also like diving deep into like, okay, hey, how do you properly, you know, uh, leverage the communication to effectively deploy your, your message and yep. to create the result that you're looking for. Yeah. So you hit the nail on the head with regards to the receiver, right? The person on the receiving end, that's the sole judge of whether or not your message was delivered, period. Right? It's not about you. It's about them. Did they understand what you were trying to communicate? Did they get value out of it? Did they answer the question? Did they do whatever that was the request or whatever the conversation uh, warranted? And so when we look at 
the people on the other side, this is a fundamentally different way to approach communication than what we might be used to, which is just our default style of communication. It's us. We're with it all day, every day. It's what we've used our entire lives. It's hard sometimes to step outside yourself and you say, you know what, I'm going to have a conversation with Christian about this topic. Let me first take a step back and think about how does Christian see the world? What are some of his strengths? When I've had conversation with him before, what have been the key things he's zeroed in on? And if I can identify that and understand that and know that, then I have a far greater chance of getting my message to land if I want Christian to hear exactly and, and really receive what it is that I have to communicate. Um, my favorite assessment tool in all of these is the Clifton Strengths Finder assessment from Gallup. And the reason being is that all the other ones, I feel like tend to put you in a box. You're either this or you're this. The Strengths Finder assessment, I find, just provides a language to describe what you're already naturally talented to do. And the interesting thing is what you're talented to do is how you see the world. So how I see the world is dependent upon the lens that I look at through my strengths. How you see the world, Christian, is dependent upon how you look at the world through your strengths. If I know your strengths profile, I know exactly what is going to be meaningful and important to you. And then I can dial in my communication to get to exactly that, right? And I've done countless workshops and have led hundreds and hundreds of people through this over the years. And we found that the core, senses, uh, core source of a lot of conflict was that personality style. And it was nothing more than leading with the individual's style rather than taking into account what the other person's style and preference was. So when we brought that to the surface and they realized that, hey, I'm communicating in a way that makes sense to me, but makes absolutely zero sense to you, we had frustration. Let's commit to adjust this and let's take this into account and see things from each other's perspective. And that you know, completely changed the dynamic of this particular team. And it was a, and a, a VP and three directors that we were doing this with. And it was fascinating. They were like oil and water. They were on completely different planes. They didn't even, they didn't, and they didn't know. And this had been going on for probably a year or two, right? And I just happened to have the right framework to bring it to the surface and then have a constructive discussion about it, see a different way, and then move forward. And they had a much, much better relationship and they both felt better after that for a long period of time. Well, I could just literally think about a few of my clients that I know and probably some of the audience is listening like, hey, why don't you just grow a pair and let's move on. It's about the project, right? Yep. And, and I could just, I literally could see this because see the reason why I'm saying that is because I think I look at it as this way, very, very um, effective. Hey, I have the cheat sheet of how this guy, this person, you know, interprets the way and communicate. Yep. And so mm -hmm. now they just gave me the cheat sheet, what works. And so, hey, might as well just, Type that teaching. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then just implement that very effectively because now what happens is, yes, it may take some time as the leader and energy and effort, but obviously it's like, I always look at it like the input and the output. You put a little yeah. bit of input in by you know, doing your research and ad adapting to it. And the output almost becomes almost like 10X just yeah. because you have the same team, same establishment, just to yep. communicate slightly, just optimizing that one thing. And all of a sudden the output is, you know, extraordinary. And you're wondering why well, it was just because that one strategy, uh, what have you seen it definitely been on the forefront? Yeah, that's right. The, and that is, and leads into the looking at how to use strengths from a leadership perspective, whether you're the CEO, VP, director, manager, even the individual, it doesn't matter because this is exactly the cheat sheet to everybody else that you're going to come into contact with and you're working with. So as a leader, though, there is, I do 100% support what I call the strengths-based approach to leadership, which is looking at, at assigning work and dealing with the projects that need to be done on a strengths-based perspective instead of time. So the Classic example, and the one everybody uses is, hey, you have time, therefore you should work on this project. <laughs> that couldn't, that's like the worst possible way to be able to divide up responsibilities. Because if you give someone, just because they have time, a project and it has nothing to do with their strengths, they will do it slower, worse, and they will have a, a terrible experience as compared to somebody who maybe the couldn't do it right at that moment, but when the time came up and they did have the strengths, they're going to do it faster, do it better, and have a whole lot more fun and be way more engaged because it's aligned with how they think and the type of work that they love to do. 
right? So looking at your team that is working with you, again, whether you're manager, director, VP, CEO, and looking at their strengths profile gives you a tremendous insight to see why people succeed in certain areas and on certain projects and why they struggle in others. And it is just the fastest way I've ever found to getting to the root of how you work and operate and how your team works and operates. And if you can distribute work and align on projects to strengths, you have an exponentially greater chance of knocking it out of the park than if you just based it purely on time. You know, you're, you're bringing in such good insight. And I really appreciate this because just like you said, we just go through the corporate ladder or we go through our business and we just go through life and we never realize, okay, we, we, we have not been taught the principles and the processes to become and facilitate the best leadership, right, right. style. Now, That's we right. probably have read a book. We probably have done this, right? We maybe have taken a course. But the thing is, is really building the structure to actually create the best result. Yeah. Um, and, and I really just appreciate that. Now, um, dive into the book a little bit further, okay? So now that the communication is, is big, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the metrics because I think, you know, definitely as leaders, there's like the micromanager ones as well as the more the laissez-faire. Yeah. And there are vanity metrics and there are metrics that are obviously are very, very important. Yeah. And so, you know, if you could just kind of um, take it from there and, and, and dial it in. The biggest problem I see on the metric side and have seen and have experienced myself as well is that the metrics that are talked about and you know driven used to drive the team are the lagging indicator metrics so in a b2b world in a recurring revenue business this is like retention or renewal rate in a sales organization it's the sales number right and and it's not that that metric is a problem the metric is very very important however how it is used is the problem so on a sales leader for example says hey our numbers are down this quarter or this month, our forecast is off, go fix it, <laughs> right? You've probably heard that at some point. I have heard that as well. And on the same thing on the customer success side, hey, retention, our retention is way too low or, or, and our churn is way too high, go fix it. And it's like, what? And the people on the receiving end are sitting there saying, okay, there's this retention thing, which is massive and this sales number thing of which there's 800 million little inputs to it. And you're telling me to go fix that number. I don't really understand how the work that I'm doing with the clients on a daily basis and all the million steps I had to go through to get a sales deal done. How does that, how, how do I fix your number? And that's where the communication gap is biggest on the metric side. And my job is to help bridge that gap and break down the lagging indicator metrics into leading indicators, which translate into activities, which are things we can actually track. And a leader who is managing their team on a day-to-day -day basis to activities and keeping track of leading and lagging indicators can be far more successful because then in their messaging and in their work with their team, their team will know exactly how their work translates all the way up the stack to get and nail that retention number. So they immediately have more engagement and commitment because they understand how their work matters. And I think that's a major you know, issue today is that a lot of people still have no clue why they do what they do, what the big picture is aside from collecting a paycheck. Yeah, what I found so interesting, it reminds me of a movie where it was like, you know, the CIA was doing something, the FBI was doing something, they had their own agenda. And yeah. then, you know, now all of a sudden they got convoluted. It's like, I look at the CS, definitely when you're talking like eight figure and even several million dollar business, it's like, no, nobody has any idea what's going on. Yeah. And they just start, you know, doing their thing because guess what? Billy Bob told him to do the thing. And it was yeah. like, why are we doing this? And what's, what's really creating that result. And I think that's, that's, it's so funny. Cause it's like a simple answer, but like so many companies are not doing it. Um, with that transformation, okay, so because I do know that in order to achieve the, the CS role, the, the communication, uh, as well as the metric side of things, it, it takes a transformation. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, some business owners, they want it like everybody, we want the fix now, yep. whatever, right? Yep. And it's, it's, you have to understand that you've been doing something for so long, the wrong direction, in order to turn this ship around, it's going to yeah. take XYZ, right? Uh, so I'd like to just kind of share with you, like, or just share with our audience a little bit. What are certain tactics that they could use or little strategies that could like, okay, I can implement these one or two things and sprinkle this throughout my organization and we're at least headed the right direction. And we're starting to, you know, kind of cut all the other extremities that are doing bad results. Yeah. So I'll give you a framework I like to use for thinking about how to become a better leader and whether you're the CEO of the company or VP or director or manager, again, doesn't really matter because it's equally applicable. Okay. Step number one is there's a commitment to be a better leader. 
right? Or to make the change, and this applies, we can adjust this to, you know, to uh, there's a commitment to upend how we deal with metrics or how we use metrics from an operational standpoint within our teams, not just at the company reporting level. So step number one is a commitment. Now you say, there's a problem here. I acknowledge it. I'm committed to actually making a change. Step number two then is to assess where you are today. So from a leadership perspective, and for example, in the B2B Leaders Academy, we have a leadership scorecard. This is a self-assessment of where you are across of these 12 key areas, which line up under the four pillars I mentioned earlier, and just gives you an honest view of where you stand today. There is no judgment on this. It does not matter if you're at one end of the scale or the other. It is simply a measurement at a point in time. And the reason that's important is because we're going to take more measurements over future points in time, and we'll know if we actually made any progress. Okay, step number three, after we've assessed where we are, is to get access to the right strategies and tactics. So again, using the B2B Leaders Academy example, that's my job is to provide all of the core strategies and tactics for each of these 12 modules, whichever one you're going to focus on for that month, get access to that, go deep on that, focus on that, put in the implement the tools and strategies I teach, and then get the results. That's it. Step number four is implementation, accountability, and access to coaching. So only you can implement whoever it is, right? Um, accountability is driven largely by you, but a lot of times by the program or another coach or at some other uh, function. And then access to coaching, well, you're going to have challenges as you go through this. And there is virtually every challenge that has been solved in the world today. Somebody's figured it out already, minus whatever Elon Musk is working on. Thank goodness he's doing that kind of stuff. But every leadership challenge, somebody else has solved it, right? I've been through the ringer on this. I've got an MBA in management organizational behavior, been a leadership coach for over 10 years, helped hundreds of clients over thousands of hours in coaching, right? And I've been through this. So when you get stuck on how do I uh, um, use this strategy inside my world, then you need coaching to help you put that piece together. Um, and then lastly is simply to celebrate the wins, right? The leadership is a long-term game. There is no, you know, you can have wins along the way, but you never win in leadership and you're also never done. Like I've still invest heavily. I have three coaches that I personally work with right now inside of my personal life and in my business to help make sure that I'm bringing the best of the best to my family and myself on the personal side, and then to my clients and my B2B Leaders Academy on the professional side. So celebrating the wins is so important. Oftentimes we you know, put the celebration out to the end and we only celebrate when somebody gets promoted or when there's an exit of the company. Reality is those are tiny little milestones. What's more important is celebrating the progress on a weekly or even a monthly basis. That is what will keep the momentum going. So those five steps can help kind of understand where you are if you, if you really wanna make a change. I love to break it down into a simple step-by-step -step process to follow. And if you get access to the right pieces across all those steps, you're golden. And let me ask you, because, you know, I love how you just laid that out so simply. Those five steps, which step do you feel like majority of people struggle with the most? Is it the implementation or is it more of like uh, the, the assessment because people don't like to look at their flaws? Or I, I'm just curious, what, what have you noticed? I think, honestly, in the leadership space, it's the first one. It's the commitment to become a better leader and, and mm. commitment to the individual. Everybody conceptually, like if you were cocktail party or chatting with somebody you want to become a better leader oh yeah of course i always want to become a better leader but when you look at what it actually takes and being and and being willing to commit the time effort and energy to it instead of just showing up and learning on the job that's a fundamentally different piece and so you know before people join I make sure that they're ready like are you willing to put in the time as little as you know 30 minutes a week and then you can join a call if you want to, to get access to a small group leadership mastermind. But I want to know that they're willing to put in the time and effort because if they are, everything else is taken care of for them. It's almost a no brainer, but they have to provide that drive and that accomplishment. So I think anybody can follow the steps, but it's that psychological check that says, nope, I got to do this. I'm willing to commit whatever it takes. I will sacrifice something and I will do this. And I'm going to put that first. That's a hard thing for a lot of people to make, especially leaders. And guess what? They're busy. That's fine. But the key is that when you do that and when you make that commitment, then the results write themselves. That's it. It's as simple as that. And I've experienced that many, many times in my life and have been you know, great recipient of 
incredible coaching, incredible guidance, incredible opportunities never would have had if I never made that commitment first. That's awesome, man. I love it. I love it. And it's so funny that you say that because that's literally the first step and it's just that commitment. And it's just yeah. so simple that 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 barrier to entry is so low, but yeah. yet people still don't do it. Uh, and I appreciate that insight. Yeah. Thank you so much. Just incredible. Uh, just coming from like the CS, the, you know, the what to focus on as a business owner, not f- focusing on the marketing and sales. That's very unorthodox and really dialing that in and having that conversation to obviously as well, like talking about like, you know, the, the B2B structure and the processes and systems and those four pillars of leadership, which is really awesome. And then, of course, these five steps as well. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, how can our audience reach out to you, be part of your community and, and just kind of be part of what you got going on? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one is connect with me on LinkedIn, Nils Vinya. Link will be in the show notes. Uh, two is check out the B2B Leaders Academy at 30daylearership.com. And if you want a free copy of my best-selling book, 30 Day Leadership Playbook, just go to 330dayleadership.com forward slash book. Drop me a line, an email, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or just there are lots of ways to get in touch with me. And I love hearing about stories and where people are in their world. And if I can help you become a better leader, then I would love the opportunity to do so. Awesome, guys. And those links will be in the description below. So make sure you consume uh, his content, what he's got going on, and just be part of what he, uh, you know, his community and stuff like that. Because obviously, the biggest thing is just like he was saying, you've got to commit. And there's no better time than obviously right now, action, activity, going and doing it. Because guess what? When you're competing with the top players, it's all about leveraging the commitment. And if you show up and you do what other people are not willing to do, that's how you outperform everybody else and build an organization and system and life or whatever that you want. And so, again, I Appreciate the time that you've had uh, here. Now, is there before we let you go fully? Is there any other last words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience? I, I you know, the um, what you were just saying there is is really hits home, right? It's it's a it's a, it's a personal decision, no matter what. And my the last thing I'll leave with is one of my favorite sayings: that every single individual, you are the CEO of your career, and you are in charge. What that means is you're in charge. You make the call on what's right for you. Do not ever let anybody else dictate what you can attend from a training perspective, what you can get access to, which leadership coach you work with. Don't ever let anybody else, your company especially, dictate what you can and cannot do because you are responsible for your own growth and development. So when you take control of that and you find the people who you resonate with the most and you follow their path, you'll have tremendous success. So be the CEO of your career, make the decisions, become a better leader. That's awesome. And guys, that is my friend, Nils. And, and that is Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Cheers. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans, Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. We thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you feel and you know that this was valuable to you, please show some love to our amazing guests by liking this, by commenting on this, by making sure that you do a nice five-star review and just show some love to our guests. That'd be really awesome. Also, make sure you share this with a friend, a family, a colleague, someone that you believe would bring value to their life right now. Uh, And guys, we just want to say thank you again for just being part of our community. If you want to have more resources, don't be afraid. Go to christiandevans.com. You can actually schedule a phone call with me or you can send me an email at christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. That's christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. Always love to hear some feedback and let me know what is the number one or two things that you are struggling in your business and your life and we'll make sure we have those conversations. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Davis podcast. And until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Cheers.